The following program is presented by the Far East Broadcasting Company because stories of people living out the gospel with their lives inspire all of us. FEBC, taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. Learn more at febc.org. I didn't realize how real, super powerful, practical, and beautiful God's grace was. And my whole life now is Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that no one misses out on God's grace and the realness and the power and the practicality of it. His message is clear, and it's based on his personal experience of receiving God's grace. Welcome to First Person, where you're about to meet Ed Mellick, who will share his story. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Let me thank you for listening to each week's interview on First Person. Our goal is to find people from all walks of life who have surrendered their life and faith to Jesus Christ and trust His Word to save them and carry them through life's ups and downs. If you didn't know, these interviews are all archived on our website, firstpersoninterview.com. Just click on the Listen button or download them as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. One more thing, these programs are made possible by the Far East Broadcasting Company, who rejoices at the testimony of people who trust Christ and follow Him. Learn more at febc.org. This week's guest is Ed Mellick, who has learned firsthand what it means to experience God's grace in the midst of one of life's most difficult experiences. We'll have additional information about him and his radio podcast ministry at firstpersoninterview.com. But you'll hear Ed tell his story in his own words now as we begin. So about 12 and a half, 13 years ago, my wife uh, informed me that she was divorcing me, leaving me. And we had been married for 22 and a half years. And we had problems. I knew there were difficulties going into that point, but I, I was in complete denial about divorce. And it was absolutely shocking and jolting. And my lawyer would later tell me there's typically two timelines in every divorce. There's the person that's kind of planning a new life and already checked out, and there's the person who's shocked. Mm-hmm. And I was the latter. Mm-hmm. And what happened is, you know, I didn't sleep for days and weeks, but we were living together and she was preparing to move out. And I, God revealed to me that I needed to, to get into a mode of no tit for tat and just do whatever I could that she needed to leave to heal. And I went to her excitedly to tell her this and, and she wanted no part of me. Yeah, okay. So thanks. You know, here's my lawyer's card. And, and, I, and I started getting greater and greater revelations. One of them was to be the person through which God would love her more than anyone else. And these are not things you think when you're getting divorced. Mm-hmm. And something happened uh, about three weeks after she told me she was leaving over a three-day period that profoundly affected me. I, I actually, she took me to court on a Friday and just just creamed me. I, I had no income. My accounts were frozen. And the judge said, you, you got to pay thousands of dollars a month. And that night she had a packing gathering at the house. I couldn't go home. So I laid on my parents' floor and sleepless, you know, waiting for the people to clear out. And I went home that day in the morning at about 6 a.m. And I came in the door and I said, you know, what happened in court was not really good. I, I told you I wanted to help you, but I'm going to demonstrate it. I'm going to help you move. And I helped her move for about 10 hours. And at the end of the move, I tipped the movers and I'm standing in her new apartment, which is extremely un- rare for, for people who leave each other. Normally, you don't even know where the person's going. Mm-hmm. And uh, to my right was my daughter. I went into her. She was 13. And I, I said goodbye. I can't to this day remember what I said. Mm-hmm. And then I crossed the apartment and went into Diane's new bedroom and she was kind of hiding there and she was in the corner of the room facing me. And I walked up to her and it was the first time in my life that God clearly spoke through me because I said something so utterly concise and non-ed, (laughs) non-human, 
It was unbelievable. I said to her, I love you and I'm proud of you. And my human side wanted to say, look what you're doing to us. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you know, and call her bad names and curse at her and everything else. And I didn't say that. And after I said what I said, she was speechless and I hugged her and I kissed her on her forehead. She was very petite. She was about a, f- a foot shorter than me. She still was speechless. I turned around. I left. I went home. I cleaned the entire house because it was destroyed. It was raining heavily and there were four movers coming in and out. And I passed out. I finally slept for the first time in ages. And I got up the next morning and the house is echoing and there's all this, you know, there's no daughter. My best friend is gone. Half the furniture is gone. And people called during the day and there were a lot of tears. People came and visited. And then at about four o'clock, the phone rang and it was caller ID and it was her. It said, Diane Mellick. And I, I was excited. And I picked up the phone and we started talking and I, and I, st- and I listened for, for the first time in many, many years. I listened. Again, I wanted to say, look what you have done. And she talked about how hard the divorce was on her and how busy she was with school and work. And she went on for about 10 minutes. And then she said, you know, it's really, it's been a long day. It's been a long move. Do you think you could bring us a pizza? And when I tell this story to people in the world, I mean, I get just a visceral, ungraceful reaction. And I was actually really excited. It was as an opportunity to do something for her and to see her. And so I said, sure, sure. And she backed off a little and I pressed and, and long story short, I got the pizza, went over and I came in the door of her apartment and she had the table set really nice. And oh, by the way, it was Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. And I sat down, the three of us sat down and ate dinner as a family the day after she left and the day of, two days after she killed me in court. Mm-hmm. And it, there's no playbook for this. It was very surreal. And I got up and I walked towards the door, sort of shuffling, you know, clumsy. And I looked at her and she came up to me with her arms crossed, real cute, and hugged me and said, thank you. And I was blown away. She hadn't hugged me in ages. And, and the gospel and the understanding of grace just flooded into my, my heart. I just was like, I get it now. Mm-hmm. I've been slamming this poor woman for years, trying to bend her into what I want her to be. And we all do this in marriage, no exceptions. And here I was moving her one day and bringing her a pizza, and she's hugging me and thanking me for the first time in years. And I walked out the door, and the door closed behind me, and I looked up to heaven, and I said to God, I'm in. All grace, all the time, I'm in. And what I determined to do was whenever I had the opportunity to be around her, I would serve her. If she asked me to do anything, I would do it. And the drumbeat of ungrace was unbelievable. You're, you're stupid. She's abusing you. You're a dummy. And I'm like, you know, I did all that mean stuff and now I'm going broke and I'm getting divorced. I've lost my best friend. My daughter doesn't live with me. I'm going to try this, this thing called grace and, and, and it's radical and it shouldn't be radical. It should be standard. And really my story, and, and I can let you guide some of the questions is, is I started just doing that, going to her and seeing her and whenever I had a chance to serve her and over a 10 year period, our relationship was restored in an amazing, amazing way. Wow, I, I'm. I mean, I'm speechless, Ed, because that is such a powerful story. Um, you said it was over ten years that you lived this way. Yeah, we. I, the stories. I mean, Thanksgiving rolled around six months later, and I said, "Let's spending it as a family." And divorced people don't do this. And my parents desperately wanted to see our, our their granddaughter. They wanted to see Diane. Yeah. They wanted to see me. And we decided to be together. And we talked that morning and got in a fight. The enemy was, was attacking us. And I flipped out and said, forget it. I'm not doing this. And I hung up. And I sat in my McMansion entranceway in, in Northern Virginia. And I wept. And I cried. And then I thought, what good does it do if I act ungraceful? And I, I, and I just thought about Nana and Granddad and everyone. And I called Diane back up. And I said, we're back on. 
let's meet. And we met over, and I'm tingling telling this, we met together. It was, wasn't arms crossed and, and brows furrowed and doing it for the child. It was genuine love. And the five of us had the nicest Thanksgiving. And we spent every Christmas, Thanksgiving, and, and um, Easter together for the next 10 years. Yeah. And, and what happened was, is I started to restore the relationship with Diane. And she was, she was incredibly stubborn. And she's like, we'll never get together again. Um, I started to extend that grace to my parents. They both had their issues just like I have them. And I started to extend it at work and I did get a miracle job. That's a whole nother story. And then people started calling me from around the country who had heard about me from people at Reston Bible and say, and they would say, hey, my wife or my husband had an affair or they left me. And it just started to spread. And, and I guess the key thing here is it took, if you've seen the movie Fireproof, mm-hmm. Kirk Cameron buys the durable medical gear. He took his money for his boat and did this amazing thing for his in-laws and didn't even blow his trumpet about it. When she found that out, she realized he loves me. And for me, it was me moving her seven years after the divorce. She had a lot of stuff. I don't want to use the H word, so I'll say she was a keeper. Very neat and clean, but a lot of stuff. (laughs) I was the only person who showed up over a 10-day period and helped her move. And it was it was a nightmare and it was so hard on her. The movers were trying to force her to make decisions. And, you know, she, you know, just looking at a magazine or a trinket or something. And by the end of that, she started freely saying, I love you. And a year later after that, she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Oh, goodness. And I walked her through that journey for 21 months. And again, it was horrible and it was amazingly beautiful and everything in between. But by the end of her life, it wasn't, you know, the movies where Kirk Cameron and his wife went to a park and renewed their vows. Mm -hmm. Diane died in bed with me stroking her leg, telling her what a great mom and a great wife she was. And our daughter was with her and a hospice nurse. And I got to go on a tangent. I found some notes after I cleaned out her apartment that she had written to prepare to take to the lawyer. And one of them was written in 2007, and it had an exchange between her and I. And I closed that folder, and I wept. This is just nine, 10 months ago, because it's just another indication of how bad I was. And 10 years later, on 2017 and 18, she wrote me two Valentine's cards. And she said, thank you for always loving me and for everything you do for me. And she thanked me for walking her through the cancer journey and saying how nice it was to know that she could always count on me. What an amazing change over 10 years. And this is due to the grace of Jesus Christ, surrendering to that. And I tell people over and over, I didn't realize how real, super powerful, practical, and beautiful God's grace was. And my whole life now is Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that no one misses out on God's grace and the realness and the power and the practicality of it. So when this whole episode began and Diane wanted that divorce, were you were you Christians at that time? We were. Oh, what a great question. I realized you can be a believer in the gospel and a follower of Jesus, but go off the rails. And it happens insidiously. And any married person that's listening to this, <laughs> the human heart is the most deceitful yeah. of all things we do not see. But for so, the grace of God, right? Yes, but we were Christians for, I guess it was 15 to 20 years of that time period. And I had just gone off the rails slowly. I I often tell people there was one day when I left for work and I didn't say I love you and kiss her. And I wish I had pulled out of the garage and someone had pulled me out of the car and just beat me up (laughs) and said, you go back in there right now and you tell her how precious she is and that you love her. And that's the sort of thing that I learned. So yes, we were Christians and I went off the rails. 
We'll continue to hear Ed Mellick's story coming up on this edition of First Person. Stay with us. One year ago, I heard that one of FABC's radio stations aired in our province, so I started to listen. Just one of millions of grateful people who listens to the Far East Broadcasting Company in her own language. So many Kazakh people here like listening to your radio broadcast, and we feel like a family because of it. Thank you so much for broadcasting to our nation. FEBC is dedicated to taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. To learn more, please visit febc.org. That's febc.org. My guest is Ed Mellick. He's a grace evangelist, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. He's also an author. Monumental Hug is the story. I think that's the book that you tell this, the more detail, this story of your, uh, your divorce from Diane and how God moved your life. Is that right, Ed? That's correct, yes. Okay. But you have other books as well. Yeah, what happened is, it's, it's interesting, I, I never, I was in wireless communications engineering and business development and sales and alliances and for, for years, and I lost that miracle job about three and a half years into um, the divorce, and it's, it's so funny, I had to take Diane to court, it was the most amazing day. When I lost the job, I thought, God, you're calling me to, to take this message of grace, I thought, into the secular work world. And I started doing all this research and praying, I read the Bible really slowly for about seven months. But what happened is my father really declined and eventually died. My mother did the same and then Diane. So for about six years, I was really helping people out sometimes just constantly, you know, being at rehab centers and hospitals. But I started when Diane was diagnosed and sick, I started capturing things. People kept saying over the years, I hope you're writing all this down about about grace and what you've learned. Mm -hmm. And I started writing and I wrote one massive book and it was just too much going on in it. And I ripped it apart at the beginning of 2019 into two books, Monumental Hug, which describes that first hug. And then also the cover of it, my daughter took a picture of me and Diane hugging in the last few days of her life. She, oh. I was helping her to the bathroom and she came down the length of the bed and the width of the bed and she sat down to rest. And when she got back up, she says, I need a hug, real cute. And she hugged me and Diane, our daughter, Shannon, took a picture of this through a doorway <laughs> And when I saw that picture, I, I lassoed it in Photoshop and pulled it down and I used that for the photo. So there were these two you know, bookends, these two hugs. So I called the book Monumental Hug. Excellent. And um, it's, it's about this story. It's about really, uh, the subtitle is Divorce, Cancer, Grace, and Healing. Mm -hmm. And so those are the four major topics. You know, you mentioned your daughter who was 13 at the time of the divorce. And, you know, and for the next 10 years, I mean, she grew up. What effect did this whole thing have on her? I'm curious about that. Uh, amazing effect because she understands grace from a real practical, seeing it in action way. And oh, by the way, let's not make any mistake. I'm still a mess. <laughs> we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. I'm a flat friend. Now I'm dramatically better and I, and I stumble far less, but I still do mess up. And, and that's good. You know, Paul said he's, you know, he's glad to boast about his weaknesses. Mm. So the power of Christ can work through him. When I mess up, I say that's Ed Melick. When I do amazing things, I say that's Jesus Christ and Ed Melick. And that's confirming the gospel. Well, you have been the recipient of God's grace. It's very obvious. And you, you call yourself a grace evangelist. So let's talk about your calling. What, what do you do with, with the message of your life that God has given to you, the illustration of your life? Well, it's really interesting where I am right now because I've been out of income, out of work for a long time. I mean, almost since I lost that job, it's almost nine years. 
But what I've been doing when, when you know my mom and dad passed away and I was taking care of Diane, I just started writing. I just was compelled to write about these things. And the other book I did was a data analysis of healing in the Bible. It's called Healing Plunge. Mm. And I did it in an Excel spreadsheet manually because I'm not a computer guy. And that took forever to do and iterate and proof. And then also, like you, about five years ago, a friend of mine who was my roommate at the beginning of the divorce at that job, he called me and said, hey, there's a radio station that needs some content, lowpower.org, nonprofit in Arlington, Virginia. We should do a program. And I resisted and resisted. Long story short, I'm in my fifth year. The program is called Grace in 30. So I have this amazing story. Now we bring other people in to tell their stories of grace. And, and some of the guests and the shocking nature, the forgiving a son's murderer, a black man going to KKK rallies for 40 years, an Aryan Brotherhood president in Texas prison system who murdered people now working for prison fellowship. Amazing. And I, I, there's so much on grace. You know, I, I, I want to see to it that no one misses out on this. I want to provide a counterbalance to that message of ungrace. And I think that's terribly, terribly needed. Yeah. So that's my higher calling. Yeah, that's that's amazing. It really is. And you have a website. We'll put a link to your website, which is your name, edmelek.com. But we'll put a link at firstpersoninterview.com. Can you imagine if you hadn't uh, paid attention to what God was stirring in your heart way back when? Can you imagine the regrets that you'd have at this point in your life? Hugely. Uh, I want to mention this. I'm really glad you asked that question. There were three times in a four-year window when I prayed deeply into something and God answered violently. And I mentioned to you on the phone, Paul Tripp from Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. has an expression, the redemptive violence of grace. God takes you to a place you'd never choose to go on your own to bring about change. It can only happen there. When I went to my first men's retreat at age 46, God blessed me by punching me in the face at the retreat. I saw a video where they talked about the many words, the three words translated into love in the Song of Solomon. And, and I'm like, I don't have that. I don't have that. I don't have that. And I, and I left the room and wept. And I went home and hugged Diane, and she did not hug me back. And I, she says, you're only doing it because you went to a retreat. And I went into my office, and for seven months, I prayed that God would profoundly change the way I think, behave, act, talk, react, hear, see, everything about me. I asked for next snapping love the wisdom of Christ, the agape love, and I asked for five things in my marriage. And amazingly, I got four of those deep into the divorce, and I had none of them at the time I was asking. And then God's answer to those seven months of prayer was the divorce. Not the ending you would have wanted. Exactly. And then the third time was I was sitting at my desk praying one day, and I started shaking my head and saying, man, I'm like a grace machine now. I'm, I'm, I'm just... I'm just automatic extending grace. Not, again, not perfect. And that's when I started praying about doing something different than my wireless career. And two, three months later, I got let go of my job. It's amazing. So this is what I do. I mean, my life is, you know, you know, Acts 4.20, we cannot help but tell about the wonderful things we've seen and heard. Mm-hmm. That's my life. Yeah, it's a great story. Great story of God at yes. work in a person's life. Uh, and no doubt there's someone listening who's at that point that you were back when, all the way back in 2008, when your marriage was falling apart and someone's listening right now thinking that's where I'm at, look them in the eye, so to speak, and and talk to them. Well, first of all, it seems like it's never going to end. I have a term called deep tears that I coined where I would cry every day so deeply I thought I could not stop. And you know what? Each time I did stop. And then I eventually stopped crying, praying. And actually my prayers got worse, but that's a whole nother topic. Mm -hmm. 
The other thing is I want to share something that a guy named, um, a pastor named Paul Goodnight at Rest in Bible shared with me when I went and cried for a half an hour in his office in the first few days. He said, I want you to do two things. I want you to ask God to show you what he wants you to see about you and stop pointing to her. And secondly, I want you to ask God to help you see Diane, your wife, through his graceful, forgiving eyes. And that changed everything. Wasn't that hard though? Oh, it, it, well, if you rely on God's grace and he, he, would, he would establish me, he would give me little rewards here and there where he would gird me and say, yeah, keep going. And like, like, like that hug that one night. And there were more and more things like that when she would write to me. She wrote me a note after we did the negotiations for the divorce and I typed everything up for the lawyers and all. she called me that night and she said, I can't thank you enough for how you behaved. She didn't see me on the way to the meeting because I nearly got arrested <laughs> in a fit of anger. <laughs> That's another story. <laughs> There's that fragile clay jar. Yeah. But yeah, it, I'm telling you, if you determine to love your enemy, and I'm not saying stay in an abusive relationship or anything like that. Let's, no. let's not be we silly. Yeah. But what I am saying is, love your enemy. Diane and I were enemies at the end. It was ugly. It's, it's Luke 6, 27. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you. I, I call it the 627 Club. Come join me in the 627 Club. And just do that and start doing it. I always give this, it's the most toxic person exercise. I tell people to pick the most toxic person in their life and start loving them unconditionally. And here's the problem. Americans, we do something really good for someone and they don't thank us or whatever, and we immediately quit. That is not grace. Grace is not only unmerited, it is unwavering. And I just, please, just start extending that grace and, and don't waver and watch what happens. Choose the most toxic person. That's a dangerous way to live. Oh, but that's, Jesus was dangerous. The gospel's dangerous. Our walk is dangerous and impossible, but it's, it's, Diane was smashing me in court and all. She was really, she got a lawyer that was unbelievable. Everything bad you've seen in the movies or on TV. But I don't sense any bitterness in your heart. Well, that's, that's, the, that's Jesus Christ. That's, you know, I'm, I'm, humans are bitter, but having this grace in my heart, I mean, I just, a lot of people assail me and they say, well, there's two sinners in every relationship and there's this, and, you know what? I, you know, I know Diane was flawed. God, God had her journey. In the end, he brought her back to him and he restored our relationship. And we all got to just trust that he's got these people around us. So how do we just love them and encourage them and support them? I, I almost feel like I prayed for years and years that God would change certain things about her. And I started to realize he's never going to change most of them, if not all of them. He wants me to come along and fill those voids with love and sacrifice and service. So it's almost a way of forcing community. It's, it's really amazing when you think about it. And I have these sort of insights in, in the book, you know, where things that I've learned. And, and the first one is you got to start with, with your log. Start focusing on what logs do you have, getting them out so that you can turn to the other person and start serving them and loving them. Because God, he'll flood your heart. He'll show you. And it, it's going to be tough, but he'll show you what you're doing wrong. And then if you just keep pressing in, it'll be so worth it. It's incredible. The joy I have over serving her and loving her is just, uh, it's just indescribable. My thanks to Ed Mellick for telling us his story. You'll find links to Ed's books and ministry, which include a radio show and podcast he self-produces at firstpersoninterview.com. That's also our website where these interviews are kept online for streaming anytime. Or if you want to download interviews and make them portable for on-the-go listening, use our free smartphone app, First Person Interview, found in your app store. 
bringing you these weekly interviews is made possible by the support of the Far East Broadcasting Company. Why? Because the stories of lives changed by Christ are celebrated by all of us. And FEBC wants you to rejoice at the stories of people turning to Christ wherever FEBC's programs are heard. Learn more at febc.org. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for listening to First Person. First Person.